manipulate the price of gold and silver. But all that money printing that they've done has flowed into the only non-manipulated currency in the world, and that is Bitcoin. I think this is totally different. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Once in a while, you can Bitcoin changes absolutely everything. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Before we begin today's show, just a quick shout out to a great initiative. For all Bitcoiners in Asia, you should know that Bitcoin for India, which is a volunteer-led group of Indian Bitcoiners, is organizing Asia's largest Bitcoin-only conference on the 5th and 6th of November at Goa, India. Catch up with plebs from all around the world, be part of the conversation, join in on the various workshops, all while being surrounded by lush green forest and picturesque beaches. For more details, visit www.bitcoinforindia.org conference. That's Bitcoin for India as in B-I-T-C-O-I-N, the number four, I-N-D-I-A dot O-R-G slash conference. Hope to see you there. And now let's get back to the show. Hey, Lady Anaki, welcome to the show. Uh, how about we jump straight into it and you just give an audience a, be- a brief background about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about our chat. Um, let's see, I guess to start off, um, was born in Russia, but raised in the US. I lived there for 20 years. Now I'm back in Russia about two or three years at this point. And um, I went to college for economics and international business. I graduated. I um, began realizing that all the economics that they taught me was completely wrong and didn't make any sense. And so I started looking into Austrian economics, um, you know, Federal Reserve, although I knew about it since I was like 11. Um, got in 2016, I got super into like the libertarian party and just in general, I've always been interested in philosophy and like human rights and all that stuff. And then I became like an open anarchist, you know, difference between libertarian anarchists is about six months and a lot of good books. So I went through that process and that's around the time that I found Bitcoin. So those are kind of my interests, like philosophy, economics, um, now like finance, ending the federal reserve, et cetera. And this was around which year again? Sorry. 2016. 2016 that you found Bitcoin. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I actually started in um, crypto. <laughs> of course, <100%. laughs> but you yeah. know, uh, through the Steemit blog because I was like, wow, I'm also like uh, you know hobbyist writer, and so I was like, wow, you know, like there's there's an opportunity to get paid as a writer to publish blogs and stuff like that with these new cryptocurrencies, and of course, I had to get Bitcoin to be able to enter the ecosystem, and. Um, you know, I started writing about it and slowly and slowly I kind of got over that crypto phase and became a Bitcoin maximalist a couple of years ago because I realized that a lot. I mean, like if you know anything about the downfall of Steemit, it was basically centralized. The website was bought out. The entire community was rug pulled, you know, and that happens to a lot of these projects, no matter how good their intentions seem yeah. on the surface, um, because just the technology and the game theory 
and the incentives aren't there like they are in Bitcoin. And when yeah. I finally like came to that conclusion, I went maximalist and I've never looked back and I love it. <laughs> and when, when was it like Bitcoin crystallized for you? Like around which year? That Bitcoin bl- what? Like when did like your focus, I mean, when, when did your focus shift towards more Bitcoin? Like or when did you become like a Bitcoin maxi, as you say? Yeah, it was, um, I think it was like end of 2018, beginning yeah. of like 2019 or so. Um, it, it took me a couple of years. I ended up working on a crypto project that blew up in my face. Um, it was all very sad and terrible, but a good a good learning lesson. Um, For sure. So after, after that, I decided to kind of like, I guess, relearn where I was messing up and where I was making those mistakes. And... Yeah. I got super, super into security. Like I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I come from a prepper family, from a hunting family. So really thinking about ways of protecting yourself and securing your, you know, economic freedom and like your physical safety, et cetera, et cetera, has always been really interesting to me. So um, I was dating Juan Galt at the time and he was super into this kind of stuff because he's also into game theory and philosophy. And we kind of decided to start up this company be your own vault to teach other people about online security and self-custody and Bitcoin security and and also inheritance because being able to Mm. pass your Bitcoin on to your family if something happens to you is really important, especially in these like very uncertain global scale times that we're living through. For sure, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And and like listening to you, like it sort of reminds me of my own kind of journey because I studied business, I studied and I was working in the banking industry. And so I had to go over the economics aspects of like global economics a few times. And then, as you said, like, like what we learn at university level, it's all (laughs) once you come across Australian economics and then you compare it to like what they've been teaching us over the years or what you've been, what's taught in mainstream, it's complete. uh, Yeah, it's come. It's the opposite, right? It's complete. Mm-hmm. garbage in one way right like of what we learn at university level yeah and it's not logical because i'm i'm a pretty logical person in general like i you know use reason to figure out what the first principles are and then kind of build on them to try to figure out what the macro trends will be um from different kind of like starting foundational points yes. so i remember specifically and i only remember this after college when i started looking into austrian economics I've realized that I was being tutored by one of my friends for an econ class. And I was like having this really serious like issue with the problem. It wasn't making logical sense to me. And yes. he looked at me and he's like, it's not going to make sense to you. He's like, just figure out what the answer is supposed to be so that you can pass the exam so that you can pass the class. Yep. And it didn't hit me until a couple of years later where I was like, of course he was telling me that of course it wasn't making logical sense to me because it doesn't work. Like Keynesian yes. economics is so broken and their entire model is just backwards. So for me, I was it, it wasn't making sense. And now I know why. Yeah, since we like, yeah, dive down the side, how uh, would you be able to like briefly give the audience of why Keynesian does uh, economics doesn't work? If someone's listening to it and they'll probably have that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think it's a lot of things, but Keynesian yeah. um, economics definitely relies a lot on these, this current like fiat monetary system. And in this monetary system, 
the entire point is that consumption and people spending their money is more economically important in, in their in their model than being able to work and save and then use that money for later. So in the fiat monetary system, it's almost impossible to save because they're constantly printing money. And of course, like they pass this off as economics, but really it's just their greedy, grubby oligarch hands trying yep. to get rich off of, of like unlimited wars, right? Because in yes. like a Bitcoin standard, you would never be able to pay for those wars or even in a gold standard back in the day, if a country was at war with another country and the monarch was spending gold to pay for, you know, the, his soldiers, the equipment, the travel, the food, et cetera, supplies. Then as soon as the gold started running out and they couldn't use the nobles to be able to get more gold, they couldn't form alliances with other countries. Yep. Um, for example, like Spain during their new, like their whole new world era, right? When they yes. were going over to the Americas and finding gold. Um, if they were running out of gold, then the war would be unsustainable and they would have to pull out their troops and they would have to basically either end the war or like reconsider how they were spending their resources. In the fiat economy, that's no longer necessary because you can just print more and more millions or billions or trillions. And then you pass that off to your contractors and then the contractors yep. give you, you know, all of the supplies. And then it's just endless and endless and endless. I mean, like America has been at war for decades now for yep. at least most of my life and I'm, th I'm like you know I'm in my 30s <laughs> so and this isn't this isn't just before like 9-11 I mean after 9-11 it's even before that right there's always yes. been all of these yep. conflicts that the U.S. is involved in and that's because of the fiat monetary system so all of that ties into how Keynesian economics tries to justify their spending their money printing their supply and demand models right which are completely backwards too and of course from that comes all of the regulatory policies like protecting corporations and minimum wage and all of these things that actually um have backwards incentives and a lot of negative externalities in the greater economy over a long period of time. And that just, that's the opposite of what Austrian economics is talking about. And how about uh, like, uh, again, like just a brief background of how is that, how Austrian economics is different from this aspect? Well, basically like it uses common sense. <laughs> right? 100%, yes, um, yes. Yeah, but but it talks about like from, you know, like kind of like how Bitcoin does, right? It talks about that human beings have the incentive to basically choose what is best for them individually. So when yeah. you are engaging in economic activity with other people, you have to come to some kind of agreement where I give you something that you want and you give me something that I want. And subjectively, both of those things are valuable to each of us um, differently, right? And then from that basically stems all other economic activities. So you voluntarily have to make the decision that something is good for you. And then act out on it. Right. right. But um, so Austrian economics like understands the the subjective like theory of value yep, yep. <laughs> and kind of gives people the freedom to decide. And then um, I guess it's, it's like kind of hard to boil down. No. So, yeah, <laughs> no, no, that, that's all right. Because uh, I remember, like, as you said, like when I was studying 
economics and I was studying like how the banking system worked. And mm -hmm. I reached to the point where I'm like understanding like how the central bank is in authority and then they get to govern the these other banks that are under them, right? And then, yeah. and how a nation state can increase money supply, decrease money supply with two major things being their fiscal controls and monetary controls, right? Like they're either increasing tax rates. So that's how they are decreasing the money supply in the economy. They increase right. like they're, they'll decrease tax rates and then increase money supply. That's one aspect. And then, and then there's like the, each bank is meant to, each bank under a central bank is meant to maintain a reserve, right? So, so like they could yeah. probably have it at 10% or like, I, I don't know, currently it's like, yeah, it, it's been like during the pandemic, it's been like the lowest in, Mm -hmm. and and they've increased money supply and then once they raise those rates it uh, so, sorry when they decrease it increases the money supply when they increase those rates it decreases the money supply because then the banks right. need to maintain more reserves with the central bank and then and yeah i mean like i i understood like that possibly makes sense but then where does money come from there's no there's no background like from where they are able to issue money there's no there's yeah that's where everything was hazy right and mm -hmm. uh yeah i mean, I mean like i i just for the, I, I, similarly like for you like i similarly for me like i had to study everything just so that i pass the exams i had to like study all of these concepts just so that i get through the exams and i and I, as i worked in the banking career uh, like as i worked as a banker as well like i, I realized like oh if if today if all my customers come and say they want the money <laughs> I get, I believe like there was only 10% of them would get their money because that's was like what was required for me to hold in the vaults and we are seeing that at uh, what's happening in Lebanon and like at, at like currently right like yeah and then when we try to tie in Austrian economics I guess uh, it's the yeah I mean it's it's a hard money basically they cannot the, there's no cent and I mean especially like if we try to bring in Bitcoin there's no issuing authority of the money and with bitcoin there's only going to be 21 million bitcoins so there's no one that can increase the money supply and that also incentivizes people to save money because because when you're holding on to an asset which doesn't inflate it'll its purchasing power or its value over time would increase compared to money that we currently have like government issued money which decreases over time Right. Yeah, yeah. And Bitcoin does have a little bit of inflation, but that's not, you know, yes. that's not the amount that we're seeing in the fiat world. And, you know, looking at it historically, um, fiat money like is just produces this like roller coaster of economic activity because it is controlled by human beings who are completely yeah. fallible, right? Trying to raise or lower interest rates. And if you look at the United States history and their banking history since 1913, we can see the boom and bust cycles within the economy, like yes. just swinging wildly, wildly from like the top to the bottom. And you can see that throughout history in all kinds of fiat systems because it's based on debt. And debt is like future earnings, but nobody knows the future. Nobody can predict the future, you know, unless yep. you're like Nostradamus or Vanga. And even mm. then, it's like there's so many possibilities of, of the way that things will go in the future that you cannot 
mathematically guarantee that that money will ever come back to you or come back to you at the time when you need to pay back that debt is just impossible. And honestly, like it shouldn't be done. You shouldn't be gambling on future possibilities to pay or to produce or to do things in the present because everything that exists only exists in the present. So, uh, debt-based system is always going to eventually collapse and catch up to itself because it's basically a Ponzi scheme. Um, Right. But a Bitcoin standard system, a limited supply system where, right, like you can't pay negative Bitcoin to somebody. You can't send negative Bitcoin to somebody, but that's exactly what banks do. They send negative amounts of dollars from account to account and try to balance their books. In Bitcoin, you can't do that um, unless you're, you know, building third parties and lending platforms and all of that, in which case you can kind of circumvent it. Um, But still, at the same time, if people understand that self-custody is important and when you own your Bitcoin, you own your keys, then that's the amount that you have in your account. You can never spend more Bitcoin than what you already have. And I think that's a really, really important thing in any economy. Um, yeah, sure. Loans are good for businesses mm-hmm. sometimes. But again, like you really have to do the math to try to figure out when you can pay back, you know, like how much money you have to make, what your production costs are, what your, yes. what happens if some of your employees become sick, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to actually plan that out and budget for it, um, which businesses don't have to do anymore. They can just be like, oh, whatever, I'll, I'll take a million dollar loan out from the bank yes. and I'll just, I'll figure out how to pay it back on my way. And that's not how business should be done. So I think it's just completely like this kind of free money system that just yes. throws quote unquote free money at you has completely spiraled out of control. And we're going to be paying for that. Like judgment day is coming, right? We have for to- sure. We have to see this system collapse because there's no way that any of us, not even the Federal Reserve at this point, can stop it. It's like snowballed yep. into this huge issue that that you just you, you can't stop. So we're yes. gonna go through this collapse. We're gonna they're probably gonna try to do CBDCs or you know some kind of new reserve currency, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are gonna get duped into it. A lot of people are gonna get duped into credit score systems and yes. you know walled gardens and and new banks that are completely virtual um, with what they will call cryptocurrencies, with what they will call you know the new blockchain technology. But none of that is going to be decentralized. The mechanisms behind it are still going to be these fallible humans who just want to make money off of nothing and continue these perpetual wars and the people who stand their ground and you know continue to use bitcoin and continue to educate other people about bitcoin we have a real chance to change that system and to transfer all of these people that would go into the cbdc's into this new economy that's based on abundance and based on growth and based on voluntary interaction and based on mathematics and code and right. And, and And, game theory and and true human incentives, because there's no way that you're going to stop people from being greedy. Right. But greed also comes from a scarcity mindset. Like, right. That's a trauma for on a psychological level. That's a trauma. If you were a child and you grew up in a poor family and you constantly watched your parents struggle to buy food, or you constantly didn't have things that you needed, 
right? You would have that scarcity mindset and it would be traumatic. So in your adulthood, you might start hoarding things, right? You might start like people, this has Mm, been documented in like after wars, right? Children who survived wars afterwards became hoarders or, you know, or became really greedy. So that's something that I think a Bitcoin standard could help us start healing because like I've been, I've been basically living off of Bitcoin for the last three, four, four, five years now. Gosh, it's been a while, huh? Um, (laughs) But right. But like there was a point during one of the bull runs that I was literally spending money out of my Bitcoin account. And the next day I would have just as much or more than I had the previous day. And that like that mentality of scarcity completely left my brain because look, I'm spending money and I look into my account and I have more than I had the day before. And more, as more, as more people like realize that as we get into like larger bull runs, even if just like just 2016 or right, just like if you buy Bitcoin now in a couple of years, it goes up to whatever it goes up to right? a yeah. hundred thousand things like that. Right. It comes back down a little bit. And then you still know in your head that when you bought it, it was less than what it is now. So you're yeah. technically always in the plus, like you're always in the green. And yes. so you can spend that money without really worrying that you're losing out. So like greed isn't necessarily a bad incentive, but it's definitely not an incentive that you can get rid of because it's in our human nature. For sure. Yes. hundred percent agree. Yeah. And one thing that Keynesian, uh, Keynesian himself like highlighted this like uh, when someone tried to argue against his system is like oh we are not going to be living tomorrow to see how, what's the outcome of tomorrow right like when the debts when the debt spiral comes back he's like that's for the future to decide like so they're just dumping all this debt onto the future generations which has been happening for years now and I guess at this stage it's like yeah uh, they are they'll have to accelerate their money printing just to stay at the same level now, right? Let's like it's gonna keep happening. I think the the total circulation of dollars. I think the last. I mean, forty percent was printed just in the last two or three years. That's what. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But, yes, and, and, but when you say you were living off Bitcoin for the last four to five years, like, what do you, you you've been earning in Bitcoin and then spending in Bitcoin? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the last couple of jobs that I had, I've been earning in Bitcoin and also in my company, when my clients come to me, you know, I, if, if they're super new, I show them exactly how to use Bitcoin. I'll usually like show them how to use lightning and then they can send money that way. Um, And basically like I've lived, so my Bitcoin journey was like us, Mexico, like lots of traveling around the world and then Russia. Um, so like that's three countries, three completely different currencies, three completely different economies right. um, and, and different laws, even just surrounding Bitcoin, too. So um, it's been everything from like just P2P selling Bitcoin for the local currency to yep. maybe like in the U.S. using either like a fold card or a BitPay or something. Right. Yep. Or sometimes selling Bitcoin on an exchange to go straight to my bank account. Right. Sometimes it's KYC. Sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes it's just paying with things um, with Bitcoin for things like plane tickets. Right. Like hotels, right, right, right. products from from somebody in the community etc um groceries are still usually like i find in all countries is is either cash based or card based so i just Mm kind of you know again just transferring bitcoin to other currencies etc um and yeah kind of just balancing balancing it out that way wherever i can i'll pay with bitcoin if i can yeah 
sell it. Yeah, and there's I think there's bit refill, right? Like where you can buy uh what's it yeah. gift cards with for, for any yeah, for most of stores, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately we don't have that in Russia. In Russia right. there is a law that's been around I think since 2020. Um, but probably even before that, that you cannot accept Bitcoin as payment for goods and services. I think it's one of the most detrimental laws that Russia has against oh, yeah. it. Um, even worse than like 16% tax on miners that they're coming out with or have oh, come wow. out with, I'm not sure. Um, but I think I think that's one of the things that really like hijacks the ability of Russians to really like embrace Bitcoin as a currency and as a standard yes uh, but hopefully you know i mean like still people do it right like russia is yeah, very much a gray business type country sure. Sure. so i uh, hope and hopefully like more and more people will start doing that but yep. definitely a lot more difficult here you just kind of have to get around but i've started a bitcoin meetup in moscow and so i have friends here now that are bitcoiners and people that i can trade with etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's about building communities yeah, I wanted to go to the, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the meetups. But before I ask you that, you didn't mention your company. So what does your company do like at the moment? Yeah. So Be Your Own Vault, it's just a Bitcoin security education company. So um, it's just me at this point. But basically, I do consulting and, and workshops for people that are centered around security or maybe like Bitcoin for beginners too, if somebody really needs it. it, and as well as inheritance. So those are kind of my things like teaching about Bitcoin for beginners, then a whole like four hour security workshop, and then an inheritance class. And you can pick and choose which one you need. Um, but basically, like I handhold Bitcoiners to, you know, to come up with their security strategy. And um, I found that everybody has such custom needs for that and custom yes. levels of, you know, how tech savvy they are, how comfortable they are, right? It's what their fear level is of, of, of death or self-custodying or, or their own mind, right? Like memory. Some people are like, I just sure. can't remember stuff. It would freak me out to self-custody. I'm like, okay, well then here are your, you know, choices for how you can protect your seed phrase without having to remember it. Um, yeah. And that's basically my angle because I want more people to be able to become sovereign beings and the like Bitcoin learning curve is all about taking responsibility for yourself and taking responsibility for your financial future. So that comes with a little bit of education. And unfortunately we don't get that in schools in any country, like not just America, but in any country, like maybe you'll have a personal finance class in high school but they'll teach you how to write out checks and how to do your taxes and yeah. even then it's like barely information that you're going to retain by the time you actually do start paying taxes sure. uh, so so i think that's that's really important to show people that one financial responsibility isn't as scary as we originally think like everything's scary when it's new right when, yes. when we first start learning um and online security isn't as complicated and scary as you think it is either like yes. i can learn it you can learn it anybody can learn it and as long as you set it up um and you kind of like keep an eye on it and you continue to improve over time then you will be ahead of 99 percent of people out there and you will be safer for it because hackers and you know other unsavory internet personalities are yes. going to go after the lowest hanging fruit you just have to not be the lowest hanging fruit we call him bob Bob doesn't know what he's doing on the internet. Like yes, yes. his password on Facebook is 
his mom's birthday. Yeah. And, you know, and so if you're just above, a couple of steps above that, then you're like, you're, there's nothing that's going to happen to your Bitcoin and you'll have 100%, yes. a financial future. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I guess like, and, and over, I mean, for people adopting Bitcoin, it's like not only like financials, I mean, it is financial security, but it's also your being your own bank, right? Like you, if you lose your Bitcoin, if you do a, like, if you have a misstep, there's nobody to call and like, like at some stage, obviously, if you're helping them, like you're there as their advisor initially, but like, yeah. Technically, there's actually there's no Bitcoin company, there's no Bitcoin CEO that you can call or like an uh, customer service desk that you are, you're able to call and find out what's going wrong, right? Like if you put a wrong address or something like that, you could lose your uh, Bitcoin forever in 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 that sense. But uh, but another thing that you also like highlight, oh, I just lost my train of thought. But I, but I wanted to say like what. So what wallets and like do, do, do you like do you teach your clients like what a hard wallet, soft wallets, and then any rec what's your go-to software, like say for a software wallet? Like are you give them an option? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I definitely like test out the products in the market and you know, I like talk to the other Bitcoin maximalists and I kind of figure out and like mine for information online to see what who's using what and what issues there have been, right? Like sure. if there have been hacks, et cetera, et cetera. Um and there's this really, really great website called wallet scrutiny.com. And they actually like try to um compile wallets from their code to see okay. if you can actually compile it. And they're always looking for uh, developers or auditors who can come and help them and maybe audit a wallet and then show them that, you know, the process is correct. The code is open source. Like it says what it, it does what it says that it does. And then, so they can actually kind of like check mark each one of the wallets and be like, yeah, this one is safe. This one does what it says it does. This yeah. one, you know, is self custody, et cetera. So it's a really great resource. Um, I definitely recommend for people to check it out. Not, all of the wallets are kind of like checked, right? And rechecked sure, on there. Sure. But at least you'll get an idea of what is self-custody, what isn't self-custodial, et cetera, and kind of yes. go from there, right? It's not the verify, don't trust. So it's, but it's one really great resource to kind of get an overview. Uh, but yeah, definitely like I um, conceptualize the way that wallets relate to real life finances. So I always say that your cell phone is basically like the wallet in your pocket, right? It's your purse. So yes. how much yes. money would you carry around in your purse on a daily basis? Like, would you carry a thousand dollars with you while you're walking down the street? No, of course not. I mean, unless you're like a baller, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, like you're not carrying around cash, like wads of cash in your pocket. So you shouldn't be carrying more than a thousand dollars on your phone wallet, right? On your hot wallet, um, yep. whether it's custodial or non-custodial, right? Yes. Um, yes. I talk about the difference between a cell phone and a computer. Cell phones are generally, right? Not absolute, but generally more secure than desktops. On desktops, okay. a lot more malware can be downloaded. A lot more phishing scam emails happen, right? Yep. Um, phones usually kind of like block a lot of that stuff and they do a pretty good job of it. So if you're keeping money if you're keeping Bitcoin on your desktop in one of those wallets, especially if it's a hot wallet, then that's basically like going into, into your house, your own house, right? And just throwing a wad of cash on your dining room table. 
Like probably nobody's going to walk into your house without a key. But if there's a break in and all of your cash is just sitting on the dining table, of course, it's going to get stolen. Right. So kind of like think about that. And then obviously your private keys with a hardware wallet, that's your vault, right? That's the safe that's hidden behind a painting in your house that, you know, has like a six digit code on it that you have to sit there and listen for the clicks. Right. Or maybe it's, um, Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it has like a password or something on it. Right. Not biometrics though, because biometrics are your identity and insecurity have to have it's security is about something that you have something that you are and something that you know and your biometrics are something that you are not something that you know so something that you know is like the really important part of security so a passphrase a code right um something that's either in your memory or written down somewhere and away from the place that can be broken into right so i conceptualize it that way and so kind of show people the difference between having a hot wallet on your phone, your desktop, and then a hardware wallet. And of course, you want to use a hardware wallet whenever possible. 100%. Yep. Yep. And yeah, something that you mentioned, like I didn't quite catch it, something that you know, something that you have, like, and something that you are, and w- yeah. one more, right? And and there was a third one, was it? No. No, there's just, it's just the three. There's so a, something that you have is whatever your software something that you have. Is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you have your phone, right? So to be able to get into your phone, you need to know something that you are, that's usually your username. Um, And then to actually get into the account of whatever you're trying to open, you have to have something that, you know, so your passphrase, right? So with a hardware wallet, you get those kind of, you get those, or you get those three really anywhere on the internet, username, password, and then the device that you're using to be able to access that information. Right. And then the next step would be something that you know that like uh, something that you are, you don't recommend. So you don't recommend biometrics also? No. No, not at all. No, because I mean, like, so what was it? I have, uh, I think it's my brother's friend and he was working for some company and he was getting really like mad about forgetting his like clearance badge at home. So he took the chip out and he actually like did like a little minor surgery on his hand and input that chip in there that he could, you know, walk through. And I just, you know, like if you really think about the, like the security aspect of it, like in logical progression, anybody could do anything to him to be able to get into that building. Right. Like it's just, that's, you just put the information of something that you have inside of yourself. So that's something that you are now. And now you're a target for all of these things. Right. Mm. And so like somebody like you, we walk out to the bar and somebody knows that you have Bitcoin, Got right. It. Or somebody just knows whatever and they knock you out or they roofie yes. you and they take your phone and then they put your finger to it with your biometrics or they open your eye and, you know, or they yes. put the phone up to your face. Like that's not, that invites trouble to you. Um, and maybe mm. it's on a pretty small scale because like one who, you know, how many people would roofie or, you know, try to hit you at a bar or jump you in the back alley, but still, like everything is on yes. your phone. So if that's how it. you're opening up your phone, then there's more incentive for those people to hurt you to get that information because it's what you are. But if they do that same thing and then they take your phone and there's a passphrase on it or a code that only you know in your mind and you're passed out on the floor, then at least they're not going to get into your phone and they're not going to rob you. 
right? They'll probably just take the phone, they'll swipe it, like wipe it, and then they'll Mm -hmm. just resell it on the market and get money that way. But now you're, there's a better chance of you being safe and also not robbed. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Makes perfect sense. Yes. God. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. That's quite interesting. I didn't really think of that, like all that much, but yeah, like, especially breaking it down to like something that you are, something that you have and something that, you know, that is excellent. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to ask you, maybe you can choose not to answer it if that, I mean, if it's too invasive, but uh, what's a general demographic of your clientele? Um, Usually like people who have started thinking about security um, right. or people who have heard the whole, like they're on Twitter, they see all of the Bitcoin maxis, they're talking about self-custody, et cetera. And that's usually where I get my clients from is Twitter. You can always DM me at Lady Anarchy and we'll set up a meeting. We'll, you know, do a Zoom call, et cetera. Or if you prefer a more secure chat, we can do that too. There's lots of options out there. So, um, and kind of, you know, people who just are generally at least aware that they should be doing something to, you know, to protect their security. So I'll usually like, if it's somebody who's new, I'll, I'll do like an hour session with them and I'll talk about their options and kind of give them an overview of what they should be doing. Um, I have a bunch of documents that I'll send to people with like step-by-step instructions, et cetera. Um, but generally like I'm here to answer questions to kind of give you an overall strategy. And then if you want to take it deeper and actually go through a strategy, right? Like, I don't want to know the details. I don't want to know who like you're giving your money away towards. Like I'm very private and, you know, kind of anonymous about it. I don't really want to know your real name. If you share it, that's fine. Right. Like whatever. I just need like basic information of about how much you have about what your strategy is now and then kind of like filling in the gaps of where you're missing critical information sure understood yep 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 makes sense and and uh, i mean how important is like having open source software right like i Absolutely. So important. So with open software, right, the difference between open software and kind of closed code is that one, there's more eyes on it, not always, but generally, right? We're talking about generalities. So generally open source has more eyes on it. When you're working for a company and you have proprietary software, there's usually a team of people who are looking at it. But that team of people could have a high turnover rate. There could be lots of new developers constantly in your company, or there could be just that one developer that has been in your company forever and they kind of know the system, but they're not necessarily updating it. They're like one person isn't going to be looking at new vulnerabilities or changing a code that's proprietary in a company is just, it takes a lot of resources and is very difficult. And over time, that software naturally degrades. And also you constantly have to like add all of these patches and that's not necessarily done in the correct way. In open source, because everybody can audit the code, there is more opportunities to find bugs, right? To change systems, to create updates from a lot, a lot of people who 
are maybe at different levels of understanding code, at different levels of understanding security, et cetera. So generally, it's safer to use open source because one, if you are a coder, you can go into the system and be like, okay, it, it does what it says it does. Again, right, like wall scrutiny. Does. I can compile this wallet from the code. It's usually, compiling is actually not that difficult. There's usually like step-by-step -step instructions. There's a couple of things that you have to verify. And then if you create that wallet, you know that the open source code is working as intended. Um, in the proprietary system, you just have no idea. You just download the software that they give you and you hope that it works the way that it's supposed to. Um, so generally, yeah, you want to use open source unless it's like a project that literally like, you know, you go on GitHub and you kind of look over it and you see that yep. there's two people and it's only been around for six months. And then you want to be a little bit more aware and a little bit more careful of using that stuff. Like a lot of the wallets that I recommend have been proven historically to work and and do the things that they say they do again. Sure. But in some cases, like the new wallets, right? There's a lot of new lightning wallets out. There's like right. Phoenix and Breeze and Zeus and all of those things. Yes. Yeah, like probably they're really good, um, but they're still new. And you yes. still want to make sure that they've been tested. Like some wallets are even just in beta still, right? So, and they tell you, they give you a warning when you download it. Hey, this is in beta. Like there could be bugs. You could lose all of your money. Like yeah. all of these yeah. risks are there. So, um. I say like Electrum is definitely the standard. It's been around for a yeah. really long time. It's proven. We know exactly how it works. It's very clean and kind of just the basics plus multi-sig. Um, but a lot of people have been using it over the years. Their GitHub has a lot of different commits from different people around the world. So obviously, um, because of those factors, it's probably more secure generally again, right? Yeah. It's generally yeah. more secure than something that's been around for five months. You have no idea what that new team is dealing with. You have no idea what's happening in those people's personal lives. You have sure. no idea what their level of, right, of, of knowledge is. So you want to make sure that it's kind of has like a proven history, just like Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin has a proven history. We know that it's been working the same way for yeah. the last 13 years. And so we can, say that, hey, yeah, it's secure. And we know that if something happens in Bitcoin, there's going to be like hundreds and hundreds of developers that are going to say, hey, like something's, something's wrong, something's going on, right? Like the inflation bug that happened during the, um, during the Bitcoin cash fork, somebody found an inflation bug within the code and were like, hey, and a bunch of other developers went through and they like looked at it. They're like, yeah, totally. And they came up with a patch that worked, that didn't corrupt the system, that didn't yes. break the entire financial like structure of Bitcoin, but they fixed the bug. And sure. so we all know it was very public. Um, if yes. something like that happens in a private centralized cryptocurrency, right? Yeah. We don't know. They could sure. they could be changing stuff on the back and you would never know. And all you get is that little window that says, oh, please, you know, agree to our new policies. Yes, 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 yes. And it's like, totally well, what agree. am I agreeing to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, Sparrow Wallet? I just thought uh, since because uh, it's 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 getting I mean, like it's quite popular now, but it's. Uh, it's maintained. I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's open source, but it's maintained by like the co-maintainers, like one guy that developed it, right? Like for himself. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like I think if you want to use them and play around with them, right, and kind of like check them out, like 
sure like absolutely do it um like i'm not saying that any of these wallets are bad i'm not saying that any yep. of these wallets are corrupted For sure. um, i'm For sure. just saying that you just want to keep an eye on it because um a lot of a lot of bitcoin holding is personal responsibility and kind of keeping an eye on the market and i understand that that's a little bit of a barrier for most people now yep. um but it's the first movers the people who are going to take that risk the people who are going to put a little bit of money into it and play around um somebody's going to come along and just graduate college and be really excited to get into the industry and then they'll get hired by sparrow and they'll bring in new ideas and yes. maybe they'll find bugs and you know it'll just get better and better and better sure. so in that case yeah absolutely like i think sparrow's a good choice i think Phoenix is a good choice. I was just talking to some of the developers in um, at the Honey Badger conference in Riga, and they were saying like, "Yeah, I really like Phoenix. Like, it's it's got good security. You know, like I've mm. read the code. Um, it has good possibilities. But again, for the average person, like those good possibilities might not be something that they need right now. It might That's be something true. that they want to use later when it's more proven. Yeah. So again, like it's all." really really personalized and it depends where you are in your journey um it depends if other people have tested it before you what like what level are you comfortable in security is not just about being safe but it's also about being comfortable because the biggest risk between like you and your security is you Yes. like you the person people make mistakes you know people do dumb stuff like don't check their address a second time right or they reuse addresses yeah. or you know they are get really really excited about a new wallet and then throw all of their money into it and then something happens and that wallet crashes and they have no idea what to do a lot of um a lot of the issues that like i come up with is somebody will like change their wallet or something and try to put in their 12 word phrase right put in their private key and like basically yep. you know restore a wallet and all of a sudden they're going from like i don't know sparrow to zeus yes. and yes. their derivation path is different and so you put in your 12 words and you look at your balance and it says zero bitcoin and people panic and they're like what's happening i did everything correctly just like all of the blogs tell me just put in your 12 words and your money will be in there and they don't realize that there's this kind of like underlining um difference between wallets because some developers think that like this derivation path is better than that derivation path whether it's security or ux stuff or whatever their reasoning is most people just don't know that so they come to me and they're like oh my god there's zero bitcoin in my account and i'm like hold on we're gonna you know we're gonna take a step back we're gonna try to figure this out like i don't need your 12 word phrase but maybe try electrum i think electrum is again one of those best um wallets because sure. it allows for multiple derivation paths and yes. there's ways to kind of check if the money is still in there you just have to kind of reroute it through you know a different coding system um yeah 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 perfect yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it seems like you deal with like lots of yeah nuances yes lots of nuances and like people yeah people tend to panic and as you rightly said like the biggest i mean you like as you the you as in like the hypothetical you yeah that is is the main sort of uh how did you put it but like the main sort of barrier in terms of your security or the main sort of a, a point of failure that you you yourself is like the main point of failure in terms of your security especially like i, I it, even in my experience like uh, i know not my personal experience but i've come across people where they've made their setup over complicated their setup and then going down two or three years they've forgotten 
how they've like you know they've forgotten what they've done is like yeah. for, and from the basics right like you're going to write your 12 or 24 words and you're going to write it like horizontally so like 1 2 3 4 in a horizontal line oh so because you want to complicate it you started writing like you number 1 i mean you start writing number 1 as 1 and then you write number 2 as 4 and then you keep mixing up all these numbers and then and you think you're going to remember all of that and then yep. two years down the line and you've forgotten like you've forgotten yep. so you have the 12 words in front of you but you don't know the order Yeah. yeah, this happens to so many people. I just had a friend a couple months ago like we've been in the industry at the same time for a really long time. And he was just like, "Yeah, I wrote down my pass like my my key and uh I specifically put it in the wrong order because I thought that that would be safer and now I have no idea what the order is and I've been trying for like days to basically put combinations in." And I'm like, you know better. I'm like, yeah. we've been friends for how long? I'm like, you know better. He's like, I know that I know better. He's like, I don't know why I did that, but I did it because I thought I would remember. And that's exactly it, right? Like yeah. those are the mistakes. So, one of my like first and main rules is that because people think that like, oh, if I just don't write it down, then it'll be safe. No, documenting everything is actually really important. Sure. It's about how you store that documentation afterwards that should really be your security focus. But yes. um, especially in inheritance, right? So, we're all playing around like right, maybe you have an exchange account here, maybe you have this wallet, maybe this wallet is on your old phone that's almost bricked, right? Maybe it has right. a 2FA code and mm -hmm. when the time comes for your family to get that money because they know you have bitcoin they're probably going to miss a lot they have no idea how much you have in this wallet or that exchange they have no idea what your credentials are yes. right they have they they need some kind of help to to figure out what to do and how to get that money and so One of the things I'm like you have to do accounting. You have to say, "Hey, I have this much money in my Sparrow. I have this much Bitcoin in my, you know, Exodus, whatever. I have this much in my hardware wallets. Um this is the kind of currencies that I, that I have, right? If you're not just doing Bitcoin only and you have something else, then you want to make sure that your family gets that too. Even if it's just like $500 on your, I don't know, on your Uniswap or something or in your MetaMask. Again, like I I'm going to tell people that crypto is a scam because it is. A lot of yes. these projects are scams. And if you're going to argue with me that the 0.00001% of those projects is actually really good and interesting, it's like, okay, are you the are you a genius? Do do you know which 0.0001% project is a good one because you don't. Yes. You think you do, but you don't. And so in that case like I'll tell people that but if they have already bought crypto, you know, I'll try my best to help them figure out how to store it or how to pass it on or you sure. know, <clears throat> how to teach their family how to do it afterwards because either yes. your family yes. is trusting your documentation or your family is going to some guy on the internet that says that they can help you and maybe that guy isn't you know, yeah, in working in their best interest, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Even even if we go through like the regular legal system <clears throat> and you put that information to your lawyer, you don't know, like lawyers can be corrupted. Sure. Humans can be corrupted. So, um those are the different strategies that you kind of have to wrap your mind around and yeah. that's what I'm here for. I'm I'm here to help you kind of like figure it out and then 
the rest is up to you, right? I can yep. give you the education. I can show you what the best ways to do things are. I can give you recommendations for different wallets, but it's about freedom, right? It's about freedom yes. and responsibility. It's two sides of the same coin. So I'm going to give you information and you're going to figure out what is best for you by be based on your choices. Yep. And then, you know, and then, and then how you can pass that on. Excellent. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, you just switch gears here. And uh, how about we move? Because we like, I did want to ask you, like, you do host meetups in Mo in Moscow, right? I do. Yeah. And so what's the, I mean, like, how many people turn up at the meetup? Like, what's the general, I mean, what's the general knowledge of the people? Is there like non coiners, bitcoiners? Are there shit coiners coming along? And, uh, yeah. And is there, do you all have any particular format that you have at the meetup or is it, uh, is it just like meeting up at a bar over drinks or food or something like that? Yeah. So I moved to Russia. I think this is coming up on my third year now, September. And um, I just, Rick, I'll like, just interject that one moment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you speak Russian? I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, so that not would make as well it easier. as English. Okay. Yeah. Like I have, I have like an English minor and I'm a writer and I was like really interested in, I got made fun of for not knowing English when I first moved. And so for me, it was like a really like personal point of pride to be like, you know what, now I can speak the language better than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it's just obviously like you go through college, there's all of these terms, right? Business terms, financial terms, philosophical terms, political terms that you don't like think about like a 10 year old leaving a country, right? I was 10. I know like, hi, my name is Anastasia. Will you be my friend? I know like the basics and then um, like basic writing, basic reading, et cetera, conversations, being able to talk to my parents, you know, to peers, et cetera. And then you live your life in a different country for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, all of those industrial terms are now in this other language. So it's been kind of an adjustment to come back to Russia and be able to speak freely with everybody, but then trying to explain blockchain, Bitcoin, finance, the Federal Reserve, and the geopolitics of like what's going on in the world right now in a different language where some of the terms aren't so easily translatable. So it's been a learning curve. Um, but yeah, but, but thanks to the Bitcoin meetup, actually, I've gotten much better at it. So it's nice. also giving me practice too. Sure. And yeah, but, uh, so is there a particular format that you'll go to? Like, does, like, do you have like a presentation or just meet up casually? Yeah. So, um, our community is small, right? Yeah. The first like year, I kind of just wanted to meet other Bitcoiners because I have so many friends around the world. And then I just wanted to have friends in my city. Like I have a lot of friends in Austin, like Austin is a huge Bitcoin hub now. Yes. So there's a lot of people there. I know they get together all the time. They hang out, they like build companies together. It's really yep. cool. And I was like, well, I want to do that in Moscow, but I have no idea because the, the culture here is just so different. Mm. It's not as open. People are a little bit more paranoid people are a little bit more quiet people aren't as necessarily as rebellious as americans are yeah. but also not as rebellious as like the anarchist sect of bitcoiners right because like bitcoin sure. is for everybody sure. but the people who started it are the anarchists the cypherpunks yes. the you know the libertarians etc the people who have are were already close to understanding that we need a new monetary system like yep. that is the yep. crux of all of the issues that we have in the world and like that's not an exaggeration i'm not even going to generalize that the monetary system is foundational to our society the way that people barter the way that people 
share or transfer resources is the cornerstone of, of human civilization. So if the, that system is broken, then everything else follows. And I like, it's very clear to me, like I can see the causes and consequences of things very easily, right. On a very macro scale. So I see the interconnectedness of different industries and how the monetary system affects all of them from pharmaceuticals to politics, to military operations, to, you know, to just even like cost of living, right. Yes. Real estate, et cetera. And I worked in real estate for a couple of years while I was in the U S so like, I'm very familiar with that industry too. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I like, it's really, really important. So obviously the anarchists and libertarians and cypherpunks were the first ones to kind of get yeah. into it. But now more people are getting into it. Um, people who aren't necessarily interested in those things. Maybe they saw a TikTok about it. <clears throat> maybe they saw, you know, a monkey GIF, GIF, JPEG, <laughs> whatever, yeah. right? Maybe they found out that one of their friends got rich off of it. So there's different mm. um, ways that people come into you know, the Bitcoin space now. For sure. And For sure. and in in Russia, um, it's definitely, I think, a smaller percentage. One, because the laws are always so uncertain. And right. because in general, people have been um have been like really like the government has just pressed so hard on the Russian people. I mean, like we have a 70 year history of communism, which was just absolutely devastating, right? Devastating yep. to people who were communists and devastating to people who fought against those systems. Okay. And when a government has so much control over your, your population for so long, a lot of the mentalities in the next generations change and sure. people are definitely more cautious, right? Mm -hmm. Cause sometimes you, you know, sometimes you like, sometimes people rat out there. That was, I mean, that was huge. Like ratting out your neighbors was yes, absolutely yes. huge. It has to be in communist societies. That has to be like that. Like yeah, that's the incentive. The government. Yeah. yeah. That's the incentive is like, you're going to be okay. If you tell me who else is not okay. It's, it's, it's yep, yep. completely makes sense. regular mafia tactic. Right? Sure. And all governments do this, but in Russia, it's definitely been on a larger scale because yeah. of those 70 years. So I think our people are just more cautious. And so the Bitcoin meetup right now is pretty small. There's about like, I think like six or seven of us that are kind of coming all of the time. And at first, awesome. it was at first, I was doing once a month. Then I was like, I went to America for three months. I like was doing this, et cetera, et cetera. So planning it was just a little bit, like took a little bit more time. And yeah, yeah. we've done presentations in the past, but most of the time it's just like a bunch of us getting together. Um, we have a telegram group. Yes. We don't necessarily market it too much. I'm still kind of like discovering Moscow and I'm still trying to find a good venue to be able yeah. to do this regularly. But so far I've just been like, Hey, I want to check out this place. Do you guys want to go? Or like, I want to yeah, check right, out right, this right. place. And sometimes it's the bar and sometimes it's a restaurant. Nice. Sometimes it's a co-working space. Um, sometimes we've rented out like a little room before with like the projector and everything. Uh, awesome. And yeah. And like, we do a little bit of different topics. I think we can probably be a little bit more organized with it, uh, but I really just want to build the community and I want the community to go beyond just Bitcoin. I want sure. it to, you know, do you know Katie and Anina? Sorry? No, no. All right. So or Katie, the Russian on Twitter? Oh yes, of course. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 So, um, so she, 
Um, well, she introduced me to the first like Bitcoin person that I met in Moscow. She's like, oh yeah, this guy's like here, blah, blah, blah. Why right, don't you right. start to meet up with him? And I was like, cool, awesome. But um, sorry, I lost my train of thought on that. I mean, she's amazing and I always chill her everywhere I possibly can. <laughs> Yeah, she is. Yeah. And and they are, <laughs> and and she and her partner. Right. And they always uh, refer to sovereign individual, like especially like one chapter yeah. where, where it's like voting with your feet. Right. Like that's what they are. They are working on. And uh, yeah, it's great to see. And they have their own podcast as well. Like I, I'll and for the audience that's listening, I'll put all of that in the show notes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah but um. What where what, where where was I going with that? <laughs> yeah, I, I she you on something on the lines that she introduced you to like one of the first Bitcoiners. Uh... Yeah, but even even after that, like we're just yeah. Oh right, sorry. Okay, That's I got right. it. So okay. she does. She goes to Bitcoin um, conferences and she does a little like off conference called Underground Citadel. Oh wow. Right? Okay. Yeah. And underground Citadel is like kind of, you know, like you register or whatever, and she'll send you the address of the venue the night before. Mm. And it's completely like, it's usually like free or she'll like ask for donations, whatever. Right. Just All to right. cover venue costs and food. Okay. And she uh, invites speakers who talk about things that aren't necessarily Bitcoin related, mm. but are related to being a sovereign individual. Right. Like you right. said. So it's about like I've done a couple of speeches about prepping. Right. Or like the prepper mindsets uh, about mm. permaculture, about homeschooling, about 3D printing guns, about growing your own food, um, you know, like about mm, yep. about psychology and and how you can better yourself right just yep. all of these topics that aren't necessarily connected to bitcoin like on the surface but definitely when you start taking responsibility for your financial and your economic life um you start to think about hey like maybe i should take responsibility for this other part of my life right mm, like maybe i should yes. quit my addictions maybe i should build better habits maybe i should start eating just meat you know but yep. at least like looking at my diet right like that's a joke but like at least looking <laughs> at my diet or looking at nutrition right like talking yes. about the pharmaceutical industry like are yes. those medicines as they call them really medicine are they or are they just you know suppressing the symptoms of what is going on inside how do you actually heal your body so yep. i think um, those topics are just as important as Bitcoin. And once 100%. you get into Bitcoin, you kind of start branching out or you come into Bitcoin from one of those from subjects. Of those. Yes. Um, yes. And that's yeah. how I want to build the community in Moscow. I don't necessarily like we know everything there is to know about Bitcoin, kind of. Right. Like it's yeah, pretty yeah. It's open uh, yeah. source. We know right, how the code right. works. Like we know the issues. We definitely yes. should be working on some of like the privacy and anonymity issues. There's, yep. you know, things that we can definitely improve on scalability, et cetera. Like yep. we know the problems we know, um, we know how it works. And after that, it could get a little boring. And that's For why sure. I think a lot of people go into crypto and they're like, oh, well, mm. maybe this project is doing something completely different. So now I want to check it out because it's not just yep, about yep, Bitcoin. Yep. Well, yeah, it is just about Bitcoin. Like those things are cool, but they're a distraction from the real issue, which is us trying to take down central banks and governments that are destroying our world like one by one. Like look at look what's happening in Russia right now, right? right. Like absolutely just like freaking destruction for the sake of destruction and nothing else. Sure. And so, and I mean, like, you know, I mean, what America has been doing too. Like, I'm not, I'm an anarchist. Like, I don't, yeah, whatever yeah. government, I don't care who you are. I'm going to shit all over all of you. For but, sure. Yeah. I mean, as a sovereign individual rightly pointed, like the nation states, that it's going to be the debt of the nation states soon, right? Like, especially yeah. with the rise of Bitcoin now. 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I want to, I want those topics to be included and I want people to, um, I'd like for people to build communities where we can help each other through these yes. really tough times, right? Like prepping is important and prepping is all about community. And so yeah. if you have a local farmer that you're talking mm. to or a local hunter that you know that accepts Bitcoin for meat, then you're going to have a way better chance of surviving any kind of upheaval, any kind sure. of inflationary, you know, spiral, any kind of war. If you can move out to the country, if you can homestead yes. your land, if you can learn how to create a food forest. I'm like really obsessed with food forests because I think it's just nice. amazing that you plant stuff. And then in 10 years, you just don't have to do anything. And nature constantly provides for you because nature mm. does constantly okay. provide for you. Yes. Um, but then you can interact with people with Bitcoin. So even if the banking systems crash, even if they create CBDCs, even if they say, oh, well, you can't participate in our system unless you join our system, you yep. can be like, well, I have six friends who yes. actually have very different sets of skills who will accept Bitcoin no matter what, because that is now our currency. That is the currency of the sovereign individual. That is the currency of people who are free. That is the currency of people who want a better world, right? And so yes. we're going, and a lot of us are like, for a lot of us, it's um, it's an issue of integrity and it's an issue of standing on our principles and not moving. And that's why I think Bitcoin maximalists are called toxic a lot because we do not compromise 100%. on our values. And I think I think that's very admirable because a lot of people are like wishy-washy and then all of a sudden, you know, they're high, you know, they're giving up Jews and basements to the Nazis. Yep. And then that's how, mm. how bad things happen, right? Or they're, sure. they're calling the government being like, well, my neighbor is hoarding food, so please right. send them to the gulag, right? Like that's, if yes. you don't have principles, then you're going to falter and fail every single time that you... Um, that you bump into some kind of fear or uncertainty in your life. And so Bitcoiners are like, no, like I'm going to use Bitcoin until it goes to zero. I know people that are going to accept Bitcoin yes. until it goes to zero. And I don't think sure. it's going to go to zero because of that, because those people are not giving up their Bitcoin. 100% totally agree. Uh, I'll just like rewind back because uh, like touching upon like on your meetups firstly is like, yeah, you guys, it seems like you guys are doing a good job. Like at least uh, the meetups that we have here, like locally, uh, mm -hmm. like more casual and like this. I mean, for the like the last three or four that I've been to, like it's like really casual, just catching up at a bar and like meeting new people. And I guess you can build off from there. We don't really have like any presentations, uh, presentations going and like we, we still uh, don't have a fixed venue. And that's one reason being like Melbourne, I think where Melbourne has been in the longest lockdown in the world as well, right? Like, so like yeah. that was, yeah, then the, we had like a restart. I guess there were meetups before and then there was like this whole, now it's like a restart that we are going mm -hmm. to do. But another thing that that's happening here, which is which is like a really underground thing is like, it's called the Bitcoin Bush Bash. And uh, have you heard of them? I have. I met yeah. some of the organizers at Riga and I think it's yes. absolutely fantastic. He was okay. like, well, here, like, let me give you some tips. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. 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 And like, uh, then you, then you'd know, like at the Bush Bash, they, they speak about all these other topics, which is not related to Bitcoin. Like, I mean, sort of related to Bitcoin, like Prima culture yeah. and all of this. I mean, I'm, I believe you must have met Izzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So Izzy is like, yeah, he's currently in Bombay. And like, if you can't tell already, like I'm originally from India and like Izzy is basically living five minutes away from my home at, nice. uh, as we speak now. Yeah. He's actually 
he's actually with my brother and they are at a Bitcoin meetup in Bombay. Oh, that's <laughs> at, awesome. At this very, yeah, at this very moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I could just like travel around the world and just go to Bitcoin meetups yeah, I everywhere, know, right? I totally would. And yeah, I'm know, heading right? back to Amsterdam because like Honey Badger was so amazing. It just like filled my soul up and I just felt, I just nice. feel so motivated again. So like, because I was kind of like, maybe like losing a little bit of interest, kind of like, you know, not really like, not really like talking about, like not really trying to get new clientele, kind of just like hanging out. And then also I took a family trip in August. So like the entire month was just us traveling and, and not worrying about work. Um, we all took off and yeah, it's just, it just reinvigorated me on our mission and wanting to help more people and, and wanting to meet more Bitcoiners. And like, nice, you know, like yes. I, I came back to our Bitcoin meetup and I was like, guys, I was like, the Europeans like really want Russians to like be in Bitcoin because our community is so small. And obviously traveling yep. out of Russia, like was kind of difficult before, but it's even more difficult now. Like people can't oh, okay. get me anymore people can't really right. leave the country yep, there's yep, yep. the new mobilization effort for men so yes, yes. like there's definitely that, yeah. like a lot of barriers of crossing the border like people still do it people still get around stuff you yeah. know but for the most part like it's it's harder and so a lot of the europeans were like well wh where are all the russians like do they want to like you know do this do they want to help us translate and there's also a language barrier like the language barrier between yes. russia and like all other countries is is huge and yeah. like, while China has millions of people who can kind of, you know, in a, in a semi-strong like global economy because of their manufacturing, mm -hmm. they like people, people try and like want to learn Chinese because yes, for business, yes, it's does. a really good language to learn. But for Russian, sure. like nobody cares. We're like the outsiders of the world. So in so like they're like we want more russians to be involved and there's definitely like english-speaking russians and russian bitcoiners around the world but they're living in america or they're living in germany or they're living somewhere yeah. else and not necessarily in russia um so the mentality is a little bit different and everybody was like we just want you guys to join us and i'm like i want sure. us to join you guys too because i'm like <laughs> i feel like a representative for my country you know <laughs> yes 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 100 percent uh this was lovely speaking to you lady anarchy and uh yeah uh, firstly like uh, any closing thoughts and where can people find you and i'll drop um, everything in the show notes as well so yeah yeah absolutely so first like i i want all of you guys to kind of think about your security strategy and where you are right now and if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable about it you know kind of like take a look and dm me on twitter at lady anarchy and like set up a session or just just go out there and kind of like look into security on your own. Like don't take, and that's one of the things is like, don't take everything that you read at face value because like I've been doing this for many years now, going through all of this information. And sometimes people read a blog and they're like, oh, I can just have an air gap laptop and they buy a laptop and then, but then they don't secure their private keys correctly and they still get hacked. And yeah. I've had clients that had that happened to, they were like, well, I did everything the way that this blog told me. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, you're, you missed the crucial pieces that like that provided the security. It's not just about the air gap laptop right it's yes, about all yes. of the things that you do with it so um in that case like take a look at it and think about it and if you need help like i'm around um again lady anarchy on twitter or telegram is the same at lady anarchy with a ki uh, mm. and those are basically the two places that you can find me if you're on tiktok it's at bitcoin barbie and i do like funny well at least i think they're funny funny little jokes about bitcoin and crypto and well really it's bitcoin versus shitcoining but also nice. like a lot of um security stuff sometimes i'll do videos awesome. for security too 
Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I'll, as I said, I'll put everything in the show notes. And once again, thanks for coming on and thanks for making the time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks guys for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, all I ask is that you share it with one other person. And I also recommend that you use podcasting 2.0 apps like Breeze or Fountain FM. I'll link them down below. This will help you earn Bitcoin while you listen and it will also help support the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.